So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, let's dive in here. I was uh, on a hike early this morning watching the sunrise and just thinking, wow, when we're talking about having our lives made over and you think about standing in front of hundreds and hundreds of people and talking about that, I just think, wow, I, I don't deserve to be up here preaching this morning, but I am... I'm so thankful that it's not about what I deserve, but it's what Jesus has done. Amen. He loves to take our lives and he loves to make us over. And that's what we're talking about this morning. In just a little review, we have been in this series called Extreme Life Makeover. And we've been going from head to toe, talking about how God wants to transform us. So if we can put up this picture, let me just give you a little review of where we've been out. Here we go. Here's an incredible guy that's being made over right now, Sam Hernandez, one of our training school students. And we started with the mind. Uh, the first week we talked about mental Mike and how God wanted to make over mental Mike. The next week was the eye makeover. And we talked about lustful Larry. And how God wants us to learn to guard over our eyes. The next week was mouth makeover. And we talked about chatty Kathy and how God wants to actually use our lips to be a fountain of life for the lost and not to speak death over people. This week, we're going to talk about a shoulder makeover. Say shoulder makeover. And we want to dive in this morning on a shoulder makeover. Listen to what Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 says. It says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I feel like I'm getting tons of feedback. Guys, do y'all want me to pull this back? Or, is that better? No? Pull it closer? How's that? Awesome. Okay. Matthew eleven twenty eight. let's read it again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest from your soul. Sometime in your life, you're going to deal with anxiety. You're going to deal with worry. You're going to deal with stress. I remember walking around my neighborhood as a young adult, just getting into my career, and someone actually yelling from a house as I was on the street, and saying, hey, it's going to be okay. You look like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Like, wow, is it that obvious? Yeah, it's interesting how something invisible, which is stress and anxiety, can actually have a physical effect on us. But you can see it, right? You can see when someone's totally weighed down by the stress of life. Now, here's the interesting thing about anxiety and stress. Some are totally acceptable in our society right now. Right? There's, there's some stress that's just acceptable, right? If you had a child, if you're a parent and your child was sick, it's acceptable to have anxiety about their health, right? Or if you're running out of money and, and didn't have money to pay your bills, you know, people would say, well, that's somewhat acceptable to, to be anxious about that. Now, here's an interesting thing. In our society today, there's actually some anxiety or worry that if you talk about it, it makes you sound cool, Right? I'm serious. You said, you know, I just, I don't know how I'm going to get with all the people this week that are wanting to get a hold of me. <laughs> I just don't know how I'm going to call back everyone who's called me. Right? 
you say things like that. Some, some anxiety and stress make you sound holy. Oh, I'm just so worried about the world's going, where the world's going these days. Right? I, I'm just, you know, I'm just anxious. I don't know if enough people are praying at church. It makes you sound really holy. Now, here's the other interesting thing is some anxiety and stress, it's less acceptable. Right? You have an anxiety about getting in an elevator, right? And you're kind of in and out and in and out and people are trying to get in or you're really anxious about being around crowds. That's a little less acceptable. I had one of these probably a little less acceptable anxiety. This is, this is really an area where God really got a hold of my heart was in the area of anxiety and stress. I, I had this tremendous anxiety about not being accepted or not being popular. Like, you know, you think, well, you know, everyone wants to be accepted and popular. Not to the degree that I did. Okay. I wanted to be popular so much that I studied Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell. I, I went to the hairdresser, copied his hair, got my hair bleached, bought the same cell phone. Okay. As him, some of you guys are like, this is our pastor. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Um, this is how, how intense this anxiety was. But those are kind of funny things. When I went to college, I was so anxious. I'd, I'd walk around campus and I was, my nerves were in knots. Because I was wondering, am I accepted? Am I popular? Do people like me? I'd go back to my dorm room. It was before, you know, we, everyone was carrying the cell phones around. And so I'd go back and if I didn't have enough messages on my little voice recorder when I came back in I no one likes me no one cares about me I was so anxious about it that I would be nauseated at the end of the day so many days my freshman year in college I would go to the restroom and vomit I'd be in the middle of talking to my friends I'd be like excuse me for a second I go where's he going oh, he's just going to vomit like usual <laughs> this that is how intense it was for me and I really this is not good this is not okay you know, th- th- this is the, 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 the funny thing is I was a Christian. And so many people's testimonies you hear, you know, this is how I was before I met Jesus. And then, man, I got saved and it just totally changed my life. And one of the things we're trying to dispel in this extreme makeover, extreme life makeover series is this. When we get saved, God immediately does this work. And so many things he just takes a shovel and uproots it right out of our life. But some other aspects of our life, we're a work in progress. Amen? And so as a believer, yeah, God had done tremendous, tremendous changes in my life. But I still had a lot of sin to get out of my life. And one of them was this sin of worry. Do you know that that worry is a sin? Jesus actually commands us, do not worry. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 6. Look what Jesus says. He says this in Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you feel something in your life that's just totally redlining you, totally maxing you out, totally making you emotional, just wiping, wiping out the, the normalcy and the peace of your life, that's an area where you know I need to press into Jesus. So many of us think, well, that's just something I'm going to live with. That's a weakness in my life. Yeah, it might be a weakness, but it's, nothing's impossible for God. 
And he wants to come in those weaknesses and meet you. And so this anxiety and stress that had me worried, that had me totally obsessed with how many phone calls I had, totally dressing a certain way, doing my hair a certain way, going and vomiting in the restroom because my nerves were not. When I saw someone, and you hear me share this story once a month, when I saw a girl in college who walked in peace and walked in joy, I said, that's what I want. I saw the peace of God on her. And I went and asked her, why are you like this? Because I didn't see that she had the cool hair and the cool clothes and the cool this. Her family was a mess. It looked like her parents were about to get a divorce. She didn't drive the cool car. She didn't have all the cool clothes. And yet I found myself jealous of her because the peace of God was resting on her. And she started talking about walking with Jesus moment by moment. You see, there's a difference between just getting saved and learning to walk with Jesus moment by moment. Jesus understood that this worry thing was a big part of our life. And so he spends a big part of Matthew chapter 6 addressing this. And that's where we're going to be this morning. But every week you've been hearing me have people who God's really worked on in this different areas come up and share their testimony. And this week is really fun for me because my parents were in town this weekend and I thought, who better to share this morning than my mother? So would you welcome my mom as she comes to share with us? Through some very, very difficult crises in my life and the life of my family, the Lord has and is bringing me into a state of wholeness. Let me tell you what I used to think. What I can't think of to worry about, my husband can. So between us, we should have the bases covered. Hear it? This was my approach to our home and family. Was I a believer in the Lord? Oh, yes, as much as I knew to be. But I felt anything I could worry about, we could be proactive and prevent and protect, or in uglier terms, control and manipulate. Robert was almost six when our twin daughters were born. Life was good and busy. I came home one day to find that Bob had rushed our almost three-year-old Hannah to the doctor. She had awakened from her nap and then seemed to go into a coma-like state. The next few days in the hospital would reveal that Hannah had had a grand mal seizure and would require medication. We had a few more of those scary episodes. While Hannah was still on medication, we had another crisis just a couple of years later. I was taking Heather and Hannah and our cute little white dog out to a field of blue bonnets for a picture. Some horses were in the field and came up to us. Our pint-sized dog barked at the horses. One of the horses spooked and powerfully kicked Heather in the jaw. Heather, upon impact, was thrown up into the air. She instantly had a fractured jaw and suffered a seizure. Now both girls would be on seizure medication. Not long after that, Robert comes into our bedroom one night and says, I am the only one of your children that nothing has happened to. (laughs) And I said, oh, Robert, don't even say that. (laughs) 
soon he would play in his first football game as quarterback of his seventh grade team. I know you've heard about this. We knew for sure that Robert would be playing college ball and then on to the pros. (laughs) Very early into the game, Robert received a hit in the chest. Not a dramatic hit. Didn't even knock him down. But in the next few days, his heart rate would soar. And you could see the pulse in his neck going crazy. We, nor the doctors, knew what was wrong. I remember very well the specialist in the ICU telling me that the next 24 hours would determine whether or not our son would live. Let me tell you at this point, none of these things that happened to our children did I even know to worry about. They were not on my radar screen. And the things I thought to worry about never happened. Lesson. Hmm. I guess I'm not in control. We went from a good church-going family to a praying family. After many heart tests, heart meds, and many hospitalizations, the Lord miraculously healed Robert. And Heather and Hannah were able to come off of their meds and be seizure-free. I wish I could tell you that I learned my lesson about worry once and for all. But that would not be true. You see, eight and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. A mastectomy, full-out chemo, and radiation followed. I was scared out of my mind. Jesus had healed my children, but would he heal me? All of those taunting questions surfaced in me like, did I have enough faith to be healed? I was a desperate woman, and I was driven to Jesus. I had to learn to hear his voice. Then I had to stand on what he had told me. Many times in life, the enemy comes against me, and I have to revisit the words and the picture he has given me. His word is true. When the enemy attacks me with fear, I say no. The word of God says this, and I say out loud a scripture or a promise. You see, I am not exaggerating. My very life and my sanity depend on me hearing my Lord's voice and believing in what he has said. One of the um, things that I just want to say is, and this is a side note from the sermon, but often we don't think that people in our family will change. You know, you, you kind of label people where they are. Mom has been an amazing mother. I have wonderful parents. Um, we didn't grow up in a church like this. And um, God really getting deep into the deep places of your heart wasn't something that we grew up understanding about, especially God speaking to us and us hearing his voice so often we think you know this is just how my mom is 
You know, that's just my mom, right? You hear that phrase all the time. I want to give you faith today that your parents, your grandparents, your brothers, your sisters can be transformed by God as you bring them along with you in this journey. And it's amazing that in, in her 50s, I've seen my mom transform more than any other time in her life. And so it is worth it to go on this journey as a family. God doesn't want to just change you. It's one of the things hopefully you're getting through this series, through our church. That this is about whole families. What God does in you, he wants to do in your whole family and transform you. Amen. And so this story of what has happened, mom really is the person I've seen transform more in this area of anxiety of a person who really was was uh, full of worry and anxiety, even to the point of wanting to control things, to now just being such a person of peace and, and joy. It is such an amazing story of what we've seen happen in her life. Let's jump into Matthew 6. We just have a few minutes to dive in, but I want to unpack this really amazing text for you that we're looking at this morning. Let's start in verse 25. And we'll read through verse 34. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. We'll stop there. I want to give you several keys today for dealing with anxiety and worry. So that you can have a shoulder makeover. So that you're not walking around carrying the weight of the world. Several keys for dealing with anxiety in our life. The first key comes from this verse. What will you eat or drink or about your body, what will you wear? Is not life more important than food and your body more important than clothes? It says, is, is not life more important? Key number one, you need a bigger perspective on life. If you're taking notes, key number one, you need a bigger perspective on life. You see it when you go to a restaurant and you hear the people at the table next to you just totally tearing into the waiter for not getting everything perfect. When you see someone doing that, you think, your life is really small. You might have seen some friends, or maybe you've been like this before. I know I was. So worried about what you're wearing. Man, do I have the right clothes? Do I have, am I going to look good in this, in this particular space? I I remember when I was in college, I, I thought the cool thing to do was to join a fraternity. So I I joined a fraternity, and and what I liked about being in a fraternity is I got invited to go to sorority dances, right? Now, the cool thing about sorority dances for me was they gave you T-shirts, and the T-shirt would say, like, you know, a tri-delt likes me or something. So I would wear this shirt around campus, you know, a tri-delt likes me, you know, and I'd be walking around like, hello, you know, and walk like this, and 
Um, I remember being so into going to these functions and I really didn't even care about going to functions. I just wanted the shirts. And so anytime I saw a person with a shirt that I didn't have, I was like, oh no, I don't have that shirt. And I remember my junior year in college when God started really transforming my life. I was invited to go on a mission trip. We were going overseas to Nepal and India. And I remember, you know, going on that with, with uh, about 20 college students. So I'm packing for that. And I wanted to, I made sure that I had my sorority t-shirts in there. Okay. About three days into Nepal, we're hiking on this trail. We've, we've totally left civilization. We're going to these little villages to talk to tribes about Jesus. And I remember walking into this tribe and, and we had all these tracks and the kids just start storming us. And they're coming around and pulling these little gospel tracks out of our hands. And as I'm looking at these kids, I realize no one here cares what I'm wearing. And then I thought, no one here cares what sorority t-shirt I have on right now. Then I realized, no one knows what this sorority is. Then I thought, no one knows what a sorority is. (laughs) You know, I needed a bigger perspective. I needed a world perspective. And it helped me when I got to the other side of the world that what mattered to me, my little college life, my little Greek world just didn't matter at all. To these people in this tribe in Nepal, it totally changed how I saw what I was dressing. And I wonder for you, do the little things really worry you? I had the Cox Cable guy over this week and he was helping uh, set up my my telephone. And so I just, I always talk to the guys that are in serving and want to know about their life. And I asked him, you know, so how do you like your job? He said, oh, it's a good job. I, I get paid well. I said, well, how do you get treated? He goes, you know, most of the time I get treated well, but sometimes it's just awful. Like this past week, this woman just started tearing into me because I wouldn't set up her little personal home entertainment system. And he said, lady, I'd love to, but it's against my company's code. Like, I could get fired for doing it. And he said, she just tore into me for not setting up her home entertainment system. And by the end, she kicked me out of her house. And this is a nice guy. And what I thought is, man, that woman's life is very small. Do little things bother you? If they do, perhaps your worldview is really small. Let's keep going here because Jesus is going to unpack other keys for us that help us deal with anxiety. Verse 26, it says this, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Here's key number two. If you're taking notes, we have to understand our value to the father. We have to understand our value to the Father. Now, here's what I know having my parents in town. I am tremendously valuable to them. They will do whatever they can in, my, in their power to make sure that I make it in life. Now, I know that everyone can't say that about their parents. But I want to tell you that God is infinitely a better father than Bob Herber and infinitely a better nurturer than Ruthie Herber. For all of us. You see, some of us feel like that God is is more of this grand scheme chess player. That we're just little pawns in a cosmic chess game. And you know playing chess, you risk your pawns, right? 
You put them in a certain place and someone gets them, you know, and you go, ha ha, but now I've got you with my rook. Well, some of you feel like you're just a pawn in God's game. You know, God's probably just going to risk my life so someone more important can move forward. And that's why we need to see that phrase in here that says, your father. God is a father. No child's expendable to a loving father. Let me tell you about one of the most challenging experiences I've ever had. It happened in September for me. We were doing a little training up here at, at, at church. And so I, I said, well, Steph, I'll take the kids. Steph's the children's pastor here, my wife. And so I said, hey, I'll take our kids and I'll take some of their friends over to my house. And so I got a group of, of kids. I, they all piled in the Suburban. I had another dad and he piled kids in his car and we drove back to, to my house. Now, it was one of those days, you remember in September, that it was unbearably hot outside. So we go, we pull up in front of the house, and kids are just piling out of my Suburban. And, you know, I'm pretty distracted because I've got another dad with kids, and I'm trying to think of, of what we're going to do. And so the kids just all pile out of my Suburban, and, and then I just I shut the doors and go inside. Well, we sit and watch TV for probably 20 minutes, and then one of my kids says, hey, can we go out and play football in the front yard? We go out, and there's all these kids with us, and my friend, uh, Derek, I think I saw him this morning. Derek goes, there he is. Derek, Derek goes, Robert, I think I hear a kid in the car, and I look, and I realize my three-year-old is not with us. Now, this is one of those unbearably hot days. I run to the car and open it up. My three-year-old had fallen asleep. And so when we got out of the car, everyone piled out, and I just saw a herd of kids run in from two cars, and I didn't see that my three-year-old was asleep in the car. Didn't see him. One of those hot days. Guys, I have heard of people who have lost children this way. I open the door, and he is bright red. He is soaking sweat. And I go and wrap him up, and I just start crying. And I am saying, I am so sorry, John Mark. I am so sorry. I'm praying, oh, Lord, thank you for sparing my son. Thank you for sparing my son. I want you to know that there's seldom a day that goes by that I don't thank God for sparing John Mark. My heart is full of compassion for my son. That is how God is with you. You're not expendable to him. He cares about meeting your needs. The great thing is he doesn't forget you in a car like I do. Some of you are like, God's like you, Robert? Wait, I don't want that. No, no I, you, every illustration breaks down at some point. So just, let's move on. Verse 27. It says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Here's the third key. You have to have the realization that worry gets you nowhere. Look at your neighbor and say, worry gets you nowhere. Okay, now you're starting to preach, guys. Worry, worry gets us nowhere. Some of us, just like my mom was saying, we're proud of how we worry. We think it's being responsible, right? But worry gets us nowhere. I, I've been in this journey. I told you last week, praise God, we finally were able to buy a house. It had been a long journey where God had spoken to buy, to, to buy a house. It took us three years. There have been, in the last five years, there have been three times where I was having to move my family. Now, I've moved 11 times in five years, mind you, but there were three times in the last five years where I had to move the next day. My family of six, it's not just me, not just a little bachelor guy, but my wife and four kids three times 
that we had to move the next day and we didn't know where we were going. Now that's stressful. And I want to tell you that numerous times I would really get worried about it. I'd start worrying. Where are we going to go? I, there was one time I was about to buy an RV because I didn't know where to move. I texted my mentor, hey, I'm about to buy this RV because I can't find a place to live. And he said, don't buy the RV. <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful for leaders in the body of Christ. We sometimes, we do, we're about to do dumb things. But I, what I'm saying is I got worried. I was so worried that I was about to buy an RV. It's been a really bad RV, but that's what I was going to do. Here's, here's my point. Worrying gets you nowhere. The times that I worry and try to make something happen, it doesn't get me any further. Listen to what scripture says in verse 28. It says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. See how the lilies of the field grow. Here's here's the fourth key. You've got to understand that God's process is different than ours. So what does God do? He juxtaposes the world's richest, most powerful man in history, Solomon, with a little dinky lily in a field. He goes, here's what the world thinks. Solomon, he was a king. He had all the power. He had all the money. But he couldn't compare to how God takes care of just a little lily in a field. Are you getting the point here? We think, if I can just worry enough, if I can just think about every single angle, if I can just torque things, if I can just use my power, if I can manipulate things, if I just had enough money, then everything would work out. And Jesus is saying, no. Look, the lily was doing a lot better than the king. The little flower in the field was provided for. It was a lot more beautiful than the king who could do everything. Why? Because God is in charge. Are you following me? Because some of us think, wow, I'm being so responsible because I'm, I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching uh, you know, the news all the time and nothing gets past me. <laughs> but then we don't like being around you because you're so anxious and worried all the time, right? So what's getting past you? A lot of us. Because we're like, stay away from that person. They're just living glued to the news, right? You think you're being responsible. You're really just getting depressed. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't look at the news. I look at the news. But we don't just try to, you know, if I just know enough, if I just research every little thing, if I just plan every single tiny little mood, then I, I can outrun my problems. No. It's about a life of trusting in God. It's looking and saying, God, you care about the lily? You care about the birds? Then you will care for me. You got to understand that God is in control. Say, God is in control. You've got to understand that God is in control of your life. Let's move on. John 5 19. Jesus says this Jesus gave them this answer I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Here's what I'm not saying, men and women. I'm not saying don't work. I'm not saying just live a little Huckleberry Finn lifestyle where you're floating down the river. No, Jesus worked. But how did Jesus work? Jesus worked by hearing God's voice and only doing what the father said. 
right? There's some people that you're, you're so concerned about finances that you've always, you're always working some plan. You're always getting some angle because you're so afraid that your finances are going to run out. And Jesus is saying, just listen to the father. I only do what the father is saying, right? So some people, this is just something that's coming to mind. So it's probably for someone. Some of you are so concerned that you're not going to get married. If you're single in here, raise your hand. Now look at someone of the opposite. No, just kidding. Um, All right, come back. Um, This church is going to double next week because of that right there, right? Um, You, you're so concerned that you're not going to get married that you're, you're trying to, well, I'm going to, you compromise who you go out with. Because at least they're going to ask you out and, and at least maybe they'll, 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 they'll take hold of me. And maybe, maybe instead of saying, no, I, I'm just going to walk with God and follow his leading. Are you following me? Some of you, you're workaholics. And, and, and you think, well, I'm responsible. No, you're a workaholic because you don't trust God. I am all about hard work. We have this little saying in our family that Herbers have four core values. We hunger for God, humble ourselves, honor authorities, and hardworking. We say that every week. I'm about hard work. We talk about it every week in the Herber family. But some of you are trusting in your hard work instead of hearing God and obeying him. Are you following me? Let's pull out a couple more keys and then we'll be finished. It says this. In verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. The next key is this, we must walk by faith. Now each week we've been talking about the negative that can affect us. So for the shoulders, the negative that can affect us is anxiety. So what's the opposite positive that we can grab onto? It's faith. The opposite of anxiety and stress is faith. The opposite of anxiety and stress is faith. Are you a person of faith? So what is faith? Hebrews 11 says this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith seems so nebulous. So how, how do you actually grab hold of faith? Let me tell you, number one. How do we grab hold of faith? We get a hold of God's faithfulness. How do you have faith? You understand that God is faithful. Let me just tell you a few verses here. When you understand that the Lord is good and he has compassion on on all he has made, you will have faith. When you understand from Psalm 16 that the Lord has assigned your portion in your cup, the boundary lines have fallen for you in pleasant places, it starts building faith in your heart. When you start understanding Romans 8, 28, that in all things God works for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, you start having faith. When you understand Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to har- not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future, you start getting a hold of God's faithfulness and that builds faith in your heart. Do you understand God's faithfulness to you? That will grow faith in you. That's one way to grow faith. Here's another way to grow faith. It's what mom said, speaking out the word of God. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing the word of God. 
If you're always walking around saying negative things, I'm never going to amount to anything. My finances are a wreck. My marriage is, is in the pits. My children are all, you know, rebelling. All you're doing is speaking death over yourself. But you get the word of God. And you say, that I know that I'm more than a conqueror. You start declaring these words over you and faith starts being built up in you. I'm the light of the world. Right? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I'm the salt of the earth. You see? And all of a sudden, faith starts rising up in your heart. Last here, here's one more thing to, to build faith in you. Do you have faith-filled friends? Because I find that faith oozes out of us. Okay? It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been around people that ate a lot of Indian food, and it, you kind of, it just pours out of their pores. It's really interesting. Faith is like curry. You, people ingest it. And it starts seeping out. If you hang out with faith-filled friends, that kind of curry faith just seeps out and onto you. Let me give you one more key, then we'll finish. Here's the last key. Verse 31 and 32. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Verse 32. For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. The last key and the most important key. Seek first the kingdom of God. I can't tell you how many times in, in my housing journey that, that people would say, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you looked at this? Have you looked at this? You gotta, oh, the housing market's going back up. You gotta buy it now. And I'm like, ah, stop. Stop talking to me. I, I love you. Keep talking to me. But... I've got to seek first the kingdom. And then he promises that all these other things will be added unto you. So this is what I'd do. I'd be freaking out. Nothing's working out. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's with your children. And yes, we are diligent. We hear God and obey. But there's got to be a point where you come and say, God... I'm doing your will. I'm determined to do your will. And it's your place to take care of me. It's your responsibility. My responsibility is to do your will. Your responsibility is to take care of your little son down here. Are you hearing me? Let me just say that one more time. I say, God, my responsibility is to do your kingdom. Your responsibility is to take care of me. And that's how God transforms our life. He's a covenant God who promises to take care of us. Why don't we stand up? Would you pray with me right now? Father, we want to be people.